Um, I think that goes back to the one drop rule. Like, um, it's a mentality from the US where, like, if you have any traceable black ancestry, then you're black. It doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter how, like, distant that relative is, you're black. And all, other, all of your other, like, identities are erased. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Bias Reality Podcast. It is your host, Orwell, and it's been a while. But today I'm back in the studio with two guests. I mean, you probably recognize one of them, so there's only one new guest, really. But yeah, I'll let them introduce themselves, starting with you. Hi, it's Aisha once again. Thank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> and over to you. I, I'm Malika. I'm new. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Um, I study uh, arts at ANU um, and I major in literature and German, but that was a mistake because I went to (laughs) Germany and I didn't like it. So I just actually, I don't know why I'm talking about it. I hate German. Sorry. (laughs) So you're studying German, but you hate German? Not anymore. Oh, you dropped it? Yeah, I'm just literature now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's good. At least you figured out that it was a mistake. Um, okay, so today, um, similar to you know the episode where we spoke about you know being black and performative blackness and all of that, today we're just going to be talking about I guess the mixed experience in Australia. Like not necessarily Australia, because like you know it probably applies to most mixed race people all over the world anyway. And yeah, just that um, the experience you have especially in terms of identity. And I guess before we get, you know, into all of that, both of you are, you know, mixed race. What? I know, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so can you just tell us what, 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 you know, what races came together to create you? Uh, to put it simply, <laughs> my mom is Malaysian and my dad's from Lesotho. So he's a Mosoto. Yeah. What about you? Um, so my dad is unseasoned chicken, white, um, and uh, well, he's Dutch to be um, precise. And then my mom is Moroccan, but she's also mixed. She's like, I don't know where exactly my grandfather came from, but he's sub-Saharan African. Um, and yeah, so she's, she identifies as black. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool. And um, I guess that leads us into our next, um, you know, the next part of the conversation, which was, you know, just your upbringing. I just wanted to find out. So in terms of your upbringing, you know, having the different cultures, you know, growing up, what was it like? Like, were you, thought, you know, taught about the different cultures or was there like one, you know, predominant one where it was like that was the main culture in the house? What was your upbringing like? Uh, um, God, like... I've always been in like predominantly white spaces and um, and I think that um, my mom doesn't really, she didn't really introduce much of her Moroccan culture to us because she had such a bad time in Morocco as a black woman that she was like, I never want to go back ever again. So she didn't teach us how to speak Arabic or anything. So um, 
I think there's there was some c- kind of cultural transfer, like with food and music, and maybe like um, general like sense of humor stuff like that. But otherwise, um, I can't really. I don't feel like I can claim any real aspect of Moroccan culture. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's interesting that you put it that way. We'll definitely talk about that. What about you, Aisha? Um. Growing up, I would probably say my dad's side um, uh, was taught a bit more. Um, we'd go home, we'd go back to like listen to every second year, whereas my mom's parents are here in Canberra. But um, I, I think the only time we've been to Malaysia was when I was born. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it. Um, so th- th- there's that side of the family that I haven't met. But otherwise, um, like Malika mentioned, food. It's definitely something that was taught growing up. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Australia that I really got more in touch with my Malaysian side because my grandmother's here, so I spent a lot of time with her. Yeah. Um, and language-wise, I, I, I don't speak either one, but I understand it enough. Um, yeah. yeah. And in your situation, um, was there like a reason why, I guess, the Malaysia, Malaysian side was not that prominent in your upbringing? I think... I don't know. I think I I guess my dad as a black man, he's always been in he's always seen as as the minority in where wherever he goes. And I think he he wanted to make sure that his children were brought up as strong black children who, yeah. you know, weren't ashamed of their culture and my mom was definitely supportive of that. Oh, still is. Mm-hmm. Um but from her side it was mostly religion that came through cuz her family's Muslim. So yeah. Yeah. And for you guys, um, I guess growing up, you did mention before that you've been in predominantly like white spaces. So growing up, you know, around other kids, were you, were you ever in situations where like, you know, you were around other, I guess, mixed kids or, you know, in your situation, like, you know, other black kids or white kids? Like, what was that like just in terms of belonging? How did, how did that make you feel? How did you feel around them? Um, well, in Australia, I... Like, in my school, there was maybe, like, three other African kids. Um, So, to my friends and the people I grew up with, I was the blackest person they knew. So, they were like, you're black. And I was like, no, I clearly am not black. I'm mixed. And like, no, you are black. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I had a lot of instances like that where my expressed identity was just, like, rejected. They are like, no, you are not mixed. Um, I think that goes back to the one drop rule. Like, um, it's a mentality from the US where, like, if you have any traceable black ancestry, then you're black. It doesn't yeah. matter what you look like. doesn't matter how, like, distant that relative is, you're black. And all other, all of your other, like, identities are erased um, just because of that. Because it's, like, based on the weird principle that white is pure and, like, mm. yeah, stuff like that. Um but when I was like eight or nine years old, I moved to Switzerland and um, I went to um, a school that was next to my house. So there was just like kids from the neighborhood there. So like I think white kids were in the minority, which was oh, wow. really refreshing. <laughs> and what school was this? Uh, just like a random neighborhood school, like public school. And there was just like kids from just from the neighborhood. So um 
it, that was pretty cool. That's where I felt the most comfortable, just around people who are different. Not like I don't think there are any, any other like half Australian, half Moroccans there. I think we're a pretty unique. Um, like I don't know any other Moroccan Australians, but there were just like Pakistanis, like people from Mali, just like everywhere, which was great. That was my my favorite experience. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm <laughs> sitting here like, oh my god, oh my god, I can, <laughs> I'm like connecting here. <laughs> Um, That's crazy because, like, you would have pretty similar experiences. Switzerland, you both go to the same uni. I'm surprised you guys haven't yeah, met before this. I spent like 11 years in Switzerland. I spent most of my childhood there. Yeah. Where? I went to College de Le Mans. So, tu parles français? Oui, un peu. Oh mon dieu, ok. <laughs> Super. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the one uh, drop rule, also heard about that. But um, it's really interesting because I, I, I always wonder, like, what happens in situations where you do have um, a black background or a black parent, and um, but you're white passing? Like, do you still claim that identity of being black, or you know? Yeah, I mean, I um, I just I usually just say that I'm half Moroccan because people can tell that I'm not I'm not white. Um, they usually try and guess as well. They're yeah. like, "Are you Macedonian?" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Where do you get that from? Like, did you get that out of a hat somewhere? Or I've had like a really large variety of guesses. Like, are you Macedonian? Are you New Caledonian? Are you Spanish? Are you Israeli? Are you Italian? Like, no, none of those. You can't, (laughs) I guess you, I I bet you can't guess where I'm from. And then I make them guess and they always fail. So it's a fun game. (laughs) Same question to you though. Just in terms of like, you know, belonging and in terms of the people that you were around growing up. I mean, first of all, for you growing up, what kind of like kids were you around? So like, well, like uh, I spent some time in Switzerland, although my school was predominantly white. <laughs> so in my grade, there were three black students. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was, it was, I, I, I didn't really feel like I belonged with anyone because I wasn't, I wasn't seen as black enough, but I also wasn't seen as white or Asian enough and um yeah it, that didn't really properly click until I came to I moved to South Africa for school for high school and that 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 whole divide between like not being fully one thing or the other and that's when it really really hit me because I, I still remember this one situation um me and a few black girls were talking about hair issues I was like, oh yeah, I can relate. I like, I can't. Sometimes I, I could just can't deal with my hair. Um, and they're like, no, you don't understand. You're point five, <laughs> a comma five. Um, and I'm like, but my hair is not like everyone's hair is different. But it doesn't change the fact that I have difficulty with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's nice because the last couple of years I've I've been more embracing of of my different cultures and actively finding other um, people online who look like me and have similar experiences like this is one person on on instagram that i follow her name's marisha Lu- marisha I, I forgot the last bit but she's um half black half white german as well and i'm like she kind of looks like me <laughs> yeah yeah <sorry. laughs> yeah and both your experiences were you usually the only mixed race person in your circle yeah like growing up yeah uh mixed with black yes okay. yeah because that's what it sounds like you know from what you from what you've said it doesn't sound like you grew up around a lot of other i guess 
half black, you know, um, kids. But um, moving on, you kind of touched on, you know, the next part of this as well. And that's the whole, um, what's it called? Racial imposter syndrome. So I was re- listening to like an NPR podcast and they did that. that's what they tagged it. But it's that whole, you know, feeling of, you know, when you feel like you're not being authentic in terms of like claiming either race. And I just wanted to, yeah, talk to you guys a little bit about that because you also brought that up as well, as well as the paper that you said you did write. Mm. And um, I just want to talk to you guys in your experiences, like how have you found that? Like how has that played in your life just in terms of, you know, claiming one part of your background? Because at the end of the day, you are both. Yeah, I don't want to sound depressing, but like... (laughs) um, I guess, like, it is a pretty lonely place to inhabit between two cultures and, like, feeling um, that you can't really... You're not really accepted fully anywhere, so I think it's a very human thing to want to be um, part of a group. And I I think mixed-race people are on the rise. Like, apparently they're the fastest-growing demographic in the US. Oh, really? Yeah, um, but I think that's also partly due to the fact that they're not being just categorised as black anymore, they're being categorised as mixed. Um, but, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I, I think it's it can be kind of lonely. That's what I, that's what I feel. Do you ever lonely. feel like you need to pick a side or, you know, pick one particular race as, like, the predominant one? I feel like I can't. Like, I feel like I look too ambient to, like... <laughs> To pick one, like, I would if I could, but I can't, so, yeah. What about you, Aisha? Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? <laughs> I was, like, completely in. Uh, just, you know, that feeling of, I guess, being mixed race, you know, and being part of different cultures, yeah. just that feeling of, and this is something that I've heard a lot from other mixed race people as well, you know, feeling like they're not being genuine whenever, like, you know, they try to claim a particular you know, culture, for example, claiming a particular race, someone who's half black claiming black, saying I am black, but then just because they, you know, might be half white or half something else, it's always that feeling of I'm not being genuine enough because, you know, maybe I don't experience the same struggles or, you know, I don't go through the same things that black people go through, like full black people go through. So what's it called? Uh, in When I was in South Africa, I, I never... I was never as outspoken or as political as I am today, um, simply because I didn't feel like I was black enough to speak on issues, even though there are certain things that I, um, certain experiences that I share. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it wasn't a lot. Of, a lot of the things that have been happening in my life, a lot of the things that I'm slowly starting to accept, have only happened in the last few years. And um, accepting that I do have, do you come from a mixed background and Knowing fully that even though I do have a Malay side, no one will look at me and say, okay, she's Malaysian, until you see the rest of my family and my mom. Um, and I know that when I go to Malaysia, I'll, pro- I'll definitely be treated differently and everything. But I'm, I'm kind of accepting that. I'm kind of just embracing the fact that I can. St- there's still parts of the culture that I can still enjoy. Um, with my family and my grandmother still teaching me and like in terms of of my black side and kind of embracing that as well like at the end of the day when I walk the streets people are going to see me as a black girl no one's going to see me as oh that's a mixed looking kind of gal there no at the end of the day I'm a black girl I get 
there there are i i get treated in some ways the same way as other mm-hmm. black people um and obviously as a mixed person i do acknowledge that there are um certain privileges that the rest of the black community may not necessarily have and one of which being um fairly light-skinned, which is a whole colorist issue that yeah. um, is definitely being discussed more now. Um, but then that also goes into the whole conversation of being fetishized because you're a mixed person, which is not fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and do you ever feel like, I guess, you need to, in some circles, like, overcompensate? Like, in terms of, like, you know, just your black side or maybe around, you know, Malaysians, like, do you ever feel like you need to, like, overcompensate just to prove that you are black enough or you are, you are Asian enough? I don't think so. Um, the people that I'm around with don't ever make me feel like yeah. I need to try to be one thing or the other. They know that, like, mm. I have a, a different background. I have, I have different experiences, and they're all mixed together. Yep. So, yeah. What about you? Is that similar for you as well? Um... I I just, sometimes I feel like I am overcompensating and I feel really really weird and like inauthentic um but I'm it's not I don't think that I'm necessarily overcompensating but I feel uncomfortable about yeah. the fact that I enjoy certain things like I really really like afrobeats and like dancehall and just dancing in general and then sometimes I'm like dancing and then I feel really weird because I'm like oh, do people think that I'm trying to be black or something like but dancing is a universal thing yeah. so it's like I'm just playing myself basically yeah. yeah and I feel like yeah that's an experience that a lot of mixed race people do share which sucks because it's still your culture too so it's like yeah um you did touch on something as well Aisha you said you know when you spoke about how Previously, you weren't, you know, as outspoken and political as you currently are. And as, you know, being mixed race and, you know, part black, how how do you feel, I guess, you know, growing up and now when you speak on, you know, black issues, like issues that affect black people? Do you ever feel, again, going back to that whole inauthentic feeling, do you feel like you should not be speaking on certain things? I mean, I... I've experienced some pretty blatant racism just from people who know that my mum is black. Yeah. Like, especially in school when people knew what my mum looked like, they would say, like, like classic eugenics kind of stuff, like some good old-fashioned, like, racial science kind of stuff. Like, um, But people don't say that anymore because they don't know what my mum looks like. But I have had a few people identify somehow that I have some, um, like, black ancestry and then make really weird comments about it um um but so I I do feel to a certain extent that I can relate to certain black issues but I wouldn't take precedence over them at all I would like obviously like let other people speak about it first um and like I think also as well that um since um, my appearance isn't necessarily um, like classically sub-Saharan African. Then, like it kind of excludes me from certain um, like experiences. So, but it's more like the knowledge that I so when someone has the knowledge that my mum is black, that's when I would 
get weird comments. And have you ever had anyone like I guess when you do speak up try to I guess in a way shut you down for speaking up just because they don't know you know that your mom is black? I feel like people think I'm exaggerating or something. Um but maybe that's just my own feeling, maybe that I'm just being paranoid. But um yeah, that's sometimes how I feel. Yeah. What about you Aisha? Like the how did you go from, you know, being, you know, someone who didn't speak on these things to then like finding your voice and being a lot more outspoken on these issues? Um so I I think like I mentioned before my dad definitely wanted to raise his kids as strong black kids um so that that outspoken side was always there but just kind of squashed down <laughs> just because i it's kind of seen different um which is also really funny because i don't think my dad like my sister and i were talking about sorry i'm side note my sister and i we're talking about how my dad didn't fully realize that we actually mixed kids and had different experiences to him mm. until like recently um but anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> um, I I kind of in in like telling myself that like at the end of the day these are my experiences, um, so no one can really tell me that yeah. hey, like you can't speak on that when like I've experienced it. I've I've experienced cops trying to hit me with their cars. I see it with my dad i see it with my brother <laughs> i see it with my sister like and have you ever actually had anyone try to stop you from speaking um not actively try to stop me from speaking but more kind of like kind of micro comments about like oh but you're not really black um you don't really understand that kind of how stuff. often do you get those not so much now, yeah. um, just because, like, I'm in Australia, so I'm kind of in the minority, and um, I, I dare any white person to come tell me that I can't <laughs> speak on black issues. Um, she on smoke. <laughs> but I, I, I haven't had anyone, any black person here tell me otherwise. Yeah. That's good. That's, that's good to hear. Moving on, I guess, in terms of, well... You kind of just touched on that anyways. Like, I was going to ask, like... Touched on a lot of things. Your experience, you know, (laughs) with other black people. And you just said, like, again, your circle, you don't really have anyone who expects anything more of you or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And you haven't really had any black people actively try to shut you down when you do speak. Um, I'm assuming that's sort of similar for you as well. Yeah. I think the only person who's kind of, like, tried to shut me down is my dad because he just, like is a typical white man <laughs> but like um yeah i i don't talk about race in my family at all anymore just because it's just a bad move like it just creates a lot of issues so i don't do it anymore especially since um when me and my dad saw get out and then i was like afterwards i was like oh yes the racist white family blah 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 and they and he was like they weren't racist. And I was like, you, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> um, and he was like, no, that wasn't racism. It was it was fetishization. And I was like, it, can you, like, explain? And um, no, he couldn't explain, but he still believes that. So he's very ignorant. That's what, yeah. Kuski's <laughs> cool. <laughs> 
Can I actually ask Malika a question? Yeah, go for it. So I've um, also come across this quite a bit where um, interracial couples don't tend to under like realize yeah. that their their kids have different experiences to them. Like, do you think that's very much the same for you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, like, um, like my mom um, didn't realize that we were getting comments at school until I told her only a few weeks ago, and she didn't know that my brother was getting into fights because people were calling him the N-word and stuff like that, because um, she didn't think it, was a, it would be an issue for us because we don't look black, so... Um, and I think also that um, mixed families are also, like put on a pedestal is like an emblem of progression but I think that that's not really the case most of the time there's a lot of misunderstanding and um and like these families don't happen in a vacuum of like like it's not like racism and stuff doesn't enter into these like dynamics family dynamics at all um so so yeah it's been yeah i i i think I've, i finally started thinking about it in the past year or so but um yeah that's been my experience it's a lot of pressure yeah. to put on mixed kids being Definitely. like you're yeah. the answer to <laughs> all our problems <laughs> yeah yeah and um another thing that i have um heard a lot from you know a lot of mixed race people who struggle with this whole identity question as well is that whole i guess feeling of guilt you know do you guys, because we, ju- we just spoke about, you know, how, again, you have s- certain similar experiences, but at the same time, there are certain privileges that, you know, your skin color and just being mixed race also affords. Do you guys also, I guess, experience those feelings of, you know, guilt based on the fact that you do have certain privileges that other black people don't have or things like that? Yeah, I guess it is kind of like white guilt because I'm kind of white. <laughs> so, um Actually, he's, do you know do you know Wallace? He's like oh that guy. Yeah, <laughs> actually, he came up to me in the street last week, and he he was like, "Can I sing you a song?" Oh, him <laughs> is that yes. the guy that's always in um civic? Yeah, with the, gu- <laughs> or the guitar, with the drums or the guitar. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Can I sing you a song?" And then I was like, "Okay," um, and he was like, um, "You got Afro hair." You're kind of a white girl, but you got Afro <laughs> hair. You're not really a black girl, but you got Afro hair. You got a white daddy. <laughs> like he looked me into—he looked me in the eyes and he was like, "You got a white daddy." And I'd never ever told him that. So I don't know how he, he could tell. <laughs> but anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> Just you know that feeling of guilt. Oh yeah, guilt. <laughs> um. Um. Yeah, I think it's just the kind of guilt you get when you realize that you're in a place of privilege. Yeah. And do you find that, I guess, in terms of that feeling, it's been getting better or easier to deal with over the years? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still pretty young, though. Like, I feel like I still have a lot of work to work through. So, yeah. yeah. What about you, Aisha? Um, yeah, I mean, like... Like Malika, I've also had experiences when it comes to my skin tone, um, being told that a black guy only likes me because I'm light skinned or yellow bone, as that likes to be thrown around in South Africa quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, like, as with anything political, it's you're always learning, you're always growing, and like acknowledging that 
yes, I may have some shared experiences, but at the end of the day, like, especially um, when you're talking about colorism, like, a darker-skinned woman will always have it worse. And, like, giving them the chance to be able to voice themselves, but also, like, support them in any way you can is extremely important. Yeah. That's good. Thanks for sharing. Um, Malika, you did say that, you know, you wrote a paper on the whole identity question for Afro-Diasporic yes. people. Do you I want to talk to us about that? For this Ooh, very reason. Um, I, when I was in Germany, which I hate, um, <laughs> I, I did this post-colonial literature course, which was my favourite thing about Germany. Um, and I wrote a paper about this poem by this guy called Emi Césaire, called um, um, A Notebook of a Return to the Native Land, and basically it's just trying to resolve the identity crisis that a lot of Afro-diasporic people feel, like, yeah. in the Americas, because their ancestors, well, they're, they're, like, history in the Americas started with, like, deportation and the destruction of their African identities and stuff like that. So it's, um, so there's, like, a lot of, there's a, a like, feeling of unease, I feel, with, with, Afro-diasporic people in in the Americas because they're living in um, a culture that's dominated by by whiteness. Um, and in Martinique, where this guy is from, um, his like the island is dominated by a French culture, which is often very like inherently hostile to to the black experience. So it's basically trying to like work through all these feelings of internalized self-hate and stuff like that and also try and craft a new identity that doesn't that isn't like that doesn't include like colonial ideology. Yeah. Um and I feel like it has some similarities with the mixed experience um because these people in the Caribbean they're like you couldn't say that their like their their experience is mixed. Like they they've got like European the like European influence, the African influence, but also Chinese, Indian from like the indentured workers there, and also um, the indigenous like experience as well. So basically, it's like how do you define your identity? So this guy Emis Cesaire was like. Um, I want to return to my African roots and um, re-signify blackness for myself. Um, But then that was kind of problematic because his definition of um, African identity is, like, very mystical. It's, like, all about, like, nature and stuff (laughs) like that. I feel like a lot of black Americans seem to have that idea. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really hard to reconcile with Lagos, for example, which is, like a mega city there's nothing very natural about it um so yeah that was his his like proposed solution to the identity crisis but um the movement that followed um this guy so he his movement was called negritude um and the next movement was called creolite so that was basically just acknowledging that the caribbean experience was an uh, amalgamation of like several different um identities you couldn't just like pick one and say mm. that that was representative of the caribbean experience so yeah that's creolite 
so that that's basically what my essay was about <laughs> so yeah yeah that's very interesting what made you want to um do that um um i guess i kind of identified with the whole identity crisis thing mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> valid reason. Yeah, <laughs> not hundred percent. And just in terms of, I guess, similar to that, just that whole, you know, learning more about your, you know, backgrounds, cultures. Do you find? Because again, you did say you learn, you learn a lot from your grandma, and again, the way your father raised you. There's only so much your parents can do in terms of, like, you know, how they raise you, mm-hmm. especially. So, do you find that you have to, I guess, actively? keep learning and trying to like you know figure out your roots and just understanding more about your history culture and all of that yeah i mean especially now that i don't live with my parents Mm. um you you gotta keep looking it up um otherwise like otherwise you know it kind of just dies with you and i don't want that like I'd, i'd want to pass that on yeah to future family relatives yeah yeah, I would really like to learn Arabic. Um, it's really ironic because my mom is actually an Arabic teacher. She works at DFAT. <laughs> like, <laughs> she has taught Arabic to many, many people and not her own children. <laughs> um, I'm really salty about it. Um, is there a reason she wouldn't teach you? Uh, I think that ugh, it just goes back to the whole, like just like her experience in Morocco she yeah. she didn't want to associate me with with Moroccan culture which is pretty problematic and i think she regrets it now because the language doesn't like language is essential to understanding um well it's like how am i supposed how am I supposed to like understand my mom if I can never talk to her in her first language? Like I'm always talking to her in either French or English, which is like English is like her fourth language, Eng- and French is her second language, and it just creates. I just always aware of the fact that there's always like some kind distance between us yeah. because we can never have a conversation in her first language. So, um, so yeah, yeah, Morocco was like very sexist and racist if you yeah <laughs> that's what she taught me first yeah which i wish i think her attitude has changed since then but um but yeah maybe in the future i'll learn arabic yeah i think in terms of just educating yourself on where you come from that's something everyone should do mm-hmm. whether you're mixed race full whatever like everybody should be actively trying to understand where they come from and just understand their cultures and you know their backgrounds and everything um I guess to wrap it all up, the one thing that you did bring up, Aisha, was that issue of fetishization. And that's something, you know, being mixed race and being lighter skin, when we talk about colorism and all of that, that's something that definitely comes to play. So can you just talk to us about your experiences with fetishization? Uh, well, going home to Lesotho, I was always seen as the white girl, not just because of the way I speak and the way I dress, but also like, you know, the way I look. <laughs> um which I was not too keen about. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a nice feeling to know that someone only likes you because you're light-skinned. Um, which at the same time, like in my head, I'm also just like, oh, you're crying because you, know, you, you, you have this quote-unquote privilege. But at the same time, like no one should be yeah, fetishized exactly. for the way they look. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a very it's a very big thing in South Africa, um, like being seen as a yellow bone. Like everyone, not everyone, but like that's that's something that people really like, um, which I, I still don't understand. But of course, everything links back to colonialism and yeah. being as closely white as possible. <laughs> but yeah. 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 On the fetishization episode, I did talk to um, Tato and Pulani, mm. and they're both South African, so that's something that they did speak about. Mm. Um, but yeah, are you able to give us like you know some examples of situations where you have been fetishized based on your skin color? Well, I I, I mentioned that guy mm. who said that he liked because I was light skinned, um, and and sometimes I don't know if it's just me overthinking it, but sometimes, especially when like going on dates with white guys, I feel like because, you know, I'm light-skinned, but I'm also black, it's kind of like, okay, I'm dating a black woman, but she's not too black, mm. if that makes sense. Um, which, again, is really bullshit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've noticed that in advertising, there's so many mixed-race women, mm-hmm. but there's hardly, like, any, like, you know, full-on black people or, yeah. like... Um, or anyone else, really. Like, it's white people and then always a mixed-race woman. Yeah. Like, oh, diversity. <laughs> yeah. um, the acceptable level of black. Yeah, yeah, like there's a certain level of melanin that you need mm. to have. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard, like, um, photographers and stuff, because I did, like, look into that, try to justify it with, uh, you know, their skins. It makes the lighting better and all this bullshit, <sighs> and I'm just like, okay, sure. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Seek help. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've had this really nasty experience one time when I was um, I was on a train and there was this guy sitting across from me, and I was speaking in French with my friend, so I thought that maybe he thought that I didn't understand what he was saying, but he was speaking in German, and he was like, uh, "Yes, mulata." Um, like I only I would only go out with no he was like I would only fuck um mulatta woman I would never like fuck a, a black girl and that well, was just who was like, he saying that to he was just saying that to his friend about me it was oh. really disturbing and it made my skin crawl and yeah, I can imagine yeah yeah it was yeah it was pretty gross yeah, but otherwise I have um, experienced like a certain enthusiasm from um, some some black men, um, especially when I'm in civic. There's like these boys who come up to me and they're like, I just want you to know that you're beautiful. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, otherwise I there aren't there isn't really a huge black community. So I haven't really noticed um, in Canberra. So I haven't really noticed um how my like how my privilege operates in in the black community like yeah. so much not as much as like yeah i don't know if you ever get this feeling but like especially from black guys like when when they come up to you and tell you that oh yeah i find you stunning and stuff like i always have this little voice in the back of my head being like oh it's just because of your skin color like that's yeah. it um which obviously comes from like past experiences but like yeah no no one wants to just yeah be seen as your skin tone and that yeah. yeah you are beautiful though 
Oh my God, who are you? <laughs> you may have come here with two guests, but we're leaving as two best friends now. That's okay. That's what we do on the podcast, we bring people together. But no, thank you guys so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, I guess one of the last things you just mentioned there was, you know, how there is, I guess the black community in Canberra is not that big. Um, and at the start of this, you also mentioned that you are in a lot of, I guess, white spaces. Do you usually feel welcome when you go into black spaces here in Canberra? Yeah, I do feel welcome. More so by men than by women, though, which is sad because, Aww. yeah, I, it's kind of sad because I value friendships more than like... We'll have, we'll have to fix that. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I generally, it's fine, but like, I just... I'm unfortunately just around a lot of white people all the time. It's really frustrating <laughs> like <laughs> and alienating. So, yeah. Especially at Anu. There's not, there's not many of us. So Yeah. yeah. Um, Priska mentioned that as well. Yeah. You guys need more black students in your school. <laughs> on my to-do list. <laughs> now, did you want to answer the same question as well, though? Um, so far, I haven't been told to go away. <laughs> is really nice um but yeah other than the occasional fetish thing yeah it's been pretty good yeah yeah that's good that's good hopefully you know it gets a lot better but um no thank you guys for coming on the podcast i guess we're going to wrap it up here thanks a lot for jumping on malika thank you for having me aisha you were gonna come regardless I'm charging so it doesn't for the really session. matter <laughs> But yeah, no. As usual, though, do you do you have anything that you do that you want to plug? Um, no. No. Yeah. Do you want to tell people <laughs> where they can find you? Instagram. Oh uh, yeah, I'm on Insta. I have um post some pretty cute content. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, I'm just around. What's your Insta handle? Uh, my name just Malika Twisk. Alright, yeah. awesome. <laughs> And you, Aisha, I'm pretty sure everyone already knows by now, but just give it to us again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aisha Satipa on Instagram. Uh, I I would love to po- uh, plug BLCK, but I've been pretty quiet just because I'm drowning. Yeah, some new people life. can find the old stuff. Yeah, stories by BLCK on Instagram. So basically, um, I've interviewed quite a few people from the black community and kind of just shared the stories there so thank humans of new york but just people from black community yeah and she used to have a podcast but okay shade <laughs> life gets in the way all well <laughs> although thought- do listen to that there are some episodes out there and they're pretty funny and what's it called i guess all well was on one of them too that was probably your best episode but <laughs> anyway um it's called that's the tea um pod did you forget it already it's that's that's i never i oh that's the t underscore pod yes oh just follow me on instagram and it's also there my bio you'll find it there guys i know she sounds very convincing but that's the (laughs) the t podcast (laughs) all right so we're gonna wrap up here guys as usual it's the bias reality podcast you know where to find us bias reality underscore on instagram i'd say twitter but i've never posted anything on there um also the website www.biostudios.com and yeah check out the podcast on spotify apple anywhere you can find your podcast and yeah leave a review share it with your friend tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend 
And you don't have friends. Well, find some <laughs> and tell them about the podcast. <laughs> But yeah, that's it, guys. Catch you next week. See ya. Remember it. Write it down. Take it. <laughs> it was the same button as last time.